We're in the book of Colossians, just to give you a little bit of background of where we've been. Paul is in prison. This great apostle is in prison, and yet there's this church that's off yonder, this little church, this church in the town of Colossae. At the time, they're meeting in people's houses. They don't have a big sanctuary with a big stage. They've got houses. But Paul, while he's in prison, writes them a letter, and this is the words of Jesus coming to them. Jesus wants to encourage the church at Colossae, and so uh, we've been looking at how Jesus encourages them by telling them about him. And we've had some pretty fascinating things spoken about Jesus, uh, how awesome that he is, that he is fully God. He wasn't just part God, he's fully God, that he made the entire universe and that he upholds it with the power of his word. We've been seeing about how he is the head of the church, how he's in charge of all things and that how by Jesus, all things will be right. That at the end of time, when it comes down to the judgment and everything settled, all the cards on the table, that through Jesus, everything will be perfectly as it should be. Jesus is incredible. Jesus, if you need to be reminded, just go back and read the first part of Colossians. It's just amazing who Jesus is. And so as we get through this section, it's just been so much how awesome he is, what he's done and who he is. That it's all about Jesus, just as we always say. And then we get to verse 21 of Colossians chapter 1, and it says this. And you. Now that's a change. It goes on and says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. So this whole time we've been talking about Jesus and he's. He's just absolutely immense. He's everything. I mean, he's he's more than you and I could even imagine. And then it stops and pauses and says. And you. Now, let me give you just a, an idea of what that looks like to have it talk about Jesus and then talk about you. If, if, if you know, on the stage this morning, we were all set up for vacation Bible school. So if I was to look around here and find the biggest boulder I could find, it'd probably probably be this one let's see if i can lift it all right i'm strong enough i can get this one i want you to imagine this morning that this is the biggest boulder i could find on this stage this is jesus he's the biggest and the greatest right now we might look on this stage and look around what's the smallest smallest one we could find it might be this one over here quite a difference right the big boulder is jesus now let me tell you something about you this isn't even you this isn't even me this is too big okay it's too close so we'll put this one down before i get in trouble now if i was to come over here let me just pick up this little scrap this is more like you and me okay this is Jesus, the big boulder, and this thing that you cannot even see in my fingers. And you. That's what Colossians is saying. Jesus is everything, and this is us. We are a speck. We are like a little flea. This whole time it's been talking about how wonderful it, says, it, uh, it is and says, and you, and goes on and says in that verse, alienated. You were alienated before you knew Jesus. You were, so what does alienated mean? What's the word sound like? What's an alien? Where are they from, kids? Space. 
How far away is space? It's really far away, right? So us being right here next to Jesus before we knew him, this isn't right. Not only is it everything, but Jesus is way over here. And if we're talking alienated, I take this little speck all the way over to this brand new large stage. And if it was over here, that's not even far enough. Okay. When the scripture's talking about alienated and how far away for Jesus we are, it's like I take this and I, I chuck it and I just threw it. I don't have no idea where that went. Sorry, Miss Lois, Miss Willadine. That's over there somewhere in the carpet. Okay. Jesus is over there. He's everything. And we're this little speck. And if you were to take it and put it in the, the mightiest cannon or on a rocket and send it as far as you could, that's where you were in comparison to Jesus. Not only are you a speck, but you were as far apart as you could get from Jesus. Alienated. You were the alien. I was the alien apart from Jesus. And it goes on and says this. Not only were you an alien, you were hostile in mind. That here's Jesus who is absolute love and peace and awesome. And you and I, when we would look at Jesus, before we, knew, we look at him and we were just like, I hate you. I'm hostile. I'm bitter. I don't like you. That's how we were when we were so far apart from Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, Father's Day is coming up, but you've all had fathers, right? And, you know, you know, there's certain times when you you come and, and you see dad. And you're like, dad's hostile in mind, right? And you go to your brothers and your sister. Don't go anywhere near dad. He's about to lose his mind. He is hostile in mind. You know what I'm talking about right now? All the Hudson kids are shaking their head. Oh, we know what it's like when dad's hostile in mind. You know that there's nothing that you can say to somebody who's hostile in mind that's going to make it peaceful, right? They're just out of their mind. They're crazy. There's nothing you can do to calm them down. And, and, and the scripture says you were hostile in mind. Jesus was nothing that you wanted. And then it goes on and says this, not only were we so far apart and alienated, not only were we hostile in mind, but you were doing evil deeds. That because you were so far apart and because you're so full of sin that you were hostile, then you just wanted to act upon those. So you would throw spiritual tantrums. You would go off and do your lying and greed and lusts and, and pride and all that. You would do those things. So that's where you and I were. Before we knew Jesus... We were that far apart, we were hostile in our minds, and we were doing sin. That's a bad position to be in. That's a very, very bad position to be in. But it says this. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me let me read this whole section again. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So earlier we talked about how big he was. How little you were. How far apart you were. How you were hostile in mind. And then you're doing evil deeds. But it says, and now he has done something important. He has taken what was not reconciled and he has brought you together to him because he died for you. All that sin that was against you, your record, he took off of you and put it on him. And by his body, he died for you to make it right. 
He reconciled. He brought you to himself. And now it says this. It says, you are holy. When God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. And it says you're blameless. How many of you could raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm not to blame for anything? <laughs> yeah, none of us could. Put your hand down. And this says also that you'd be above reproach. What does that mean? That means when I look at somebody, I was like, there's, there's no way that guy could do that. There's no way she could do it. You're above reproach. There's, there's no way you would ever do that. And what's crazy is because of what Christ has done for you, the way that God sees you in Christ is this. Oh, yeah, that guy's holy. That person is blameless. There's no blame against Jason. And in fact, he's above reproach. Unthinkable that he would do something. And it says before him that you are in the presence of God, that he is with you. You're no longer alienated. You're with him. You're holy. You're blameless. And that is a good place to be. That's life, my friends. That's peace. That's having something done for you because he loves you so much. You couldn't even do it yourself, but he has forgiven you and made you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him, reconciled you to himself. That's awesome. It's awesome. Now, I want to clarify something for you about what this says. I want you to know that when Paul wrote this letter, he wasn't writing it to the world. At the beginning of the letter, when he addressed it, he said, to the saints. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So let me tell you this. It was to Christians, people who had come to faith, that God had done a work in, and he had changed their heart, and they asked for forgiveness and repented, and he forgave the sins because of what he did in them. And I bring that up because of where we go in this next verse, because it says this. It says that he's done all that, verse 23, if. Now, we don't like that word. Those things are present in you. You are holy, blameless, and above reproach through the body of Christ and what he's done for you. You've been reconciled to him if, if indeed you continue in the faith. What does that mean? Does that mean I became a Christian, but now if I don't do the right things and go to church and say my prayers and say my offerings and give to the poor and go to camp. If, if I don't do those things, if I don't do those things, then I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. I'm not above reproach. I'm not reconciled to God. I'm, I'm back to being alienated. That's not what it's saying. What's saying is this. If Christ did that actual work in you, if it was Jesus who met you at that altar, if it was Jesus who convicted you of sin, if it was Jesus who did that work, if you continue in faith means that your belief is still going. He started that belief in you. If that was his work at the beginning, it will continue. It will. Because God doesn't make mistakes and he's good at doing his work. He finishes the project that he started in you. So if God did that, he made you holy, blameless, and above reproach. He started that work by his reconciliation through Jesus and what he did on the cross. And now you are a Christian. It will continue. And if it doesn't, the reality is this. You were never a saint. You're still alienated. You're still far apart. You're still to blame. 
You still have a record. You still have sin. That first work never happened. Now, if you want to hear more about this, you can go back to our Christianese sermon. It's on the website. There was the once saved, always saved sermon. Go listen to that one. It'll speak more towards it. But here it goes on and says this about this. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So it seems like there's a lot of effort on our part that, man, if I continue and if I'm stable and if I'm steadfast and if I'm not shifting. When I'm in my house. And I feel like I've I've got a stable footing in my house, my house isn't rock and shaking. It's not because I myself am so stable. It's because my house has a good foundation, right? The reason in your faith that you can continue and you can be stable and you can be steadfast and you, as it says, will not shift to the hope of the gospel is because the gospel is your foundation. Because God started that work, because he's the one who is doing it. He will keep you stable. You will see evidence in your life and the proof that God has saved you. Because he is your hope. I was talking with a young man recently and I asked him, I said, I said, um, so where are you at with the Lord right now? Where, where are you at? And his answer, while it may seem at the start to be, that's a pretty good answer, was actually terrifying. His answer was this, well, I hope I'm doing well enough for him. That seems good because that's usually how we operate in the church. I I hope that I'm doing enough for him. I hope that I've done what he likes. I hope that I've I've got enough to, to be able to care for him and to own up to the big boulder of Jesus. You will be crushed under the hope of you being able to do it. That's not what this said. The hope wasn't in what you were doing. The hope was in the gospel that saved you. The good news of Jesus and coming saying you couldn't do anything for yourself. I did it for you. How many of you are burdened by the religion that you're doing? Instead of freed by the relationship that you have. How are you doing with the Lord? Well, I hope I'm doing well. That's a scary place to be. It really is because we're very blind to how our heart actually is. But if you're in Christ. You'll have freedom. You know, a lot of times as the pastor of this church, when I come in up, I, I, I ask people in this church, I say, hey, it's good to see you. How are you doing? One of the common responses that I get to that. Sorry, pastor, I haven't been in church. Sorry. I'm planning to, I'm planning to get there on Sunday. In fact, I'm planning to make it the whole next month before I go on vacation. You know, there's a, there's this constant burden of having to do and and don't get me wrong, I want you here. And and don't get me wrong, the people here want you here. And don't get me wrong, we need people to show up at VBS to volunteer. Amen, Shelly Johnson. That's right. We we are a part of this body. We're invested here. We need to be here. But your place before God is not dependent upon your record and attendance here at church. The way that your pastor views you isn't whether you were in the pew on Sunday. I hope you're here getting trained. And I'm hope, I hope I'm making it worth your time by being obedient preaching the gospel. But I see it. I come up to a parishioner. I say, hey, how you doing? It's, it's good to see you. And, they, and the first thing is, 
Well, I'm sorry I haven't been there for three or four weeks. I can, I can see the burden of what you're under. That's not hope. That's not peace. That's, that's the burden of religion and works. That's the burden of an alien saying, how do I get closer? I'm just not owning up enough. And the Lord says, you can't do it. If indeed this has happened, if indeed Jesus saved you, then you're going to watch the continuing belief in Jesus having saved you. You're going to watch the continuing of your stability and steadfastness. You're going to watch the continuing of you saying, I hope in nothing else but Jesus and what he's done. And it pulls me into obedience. And, and yes, that means I help out at church. And yes, that means sometimes I take my family on vacation. And sometimes that means when you are trusting and hoping and listening in Jesus that, you, yeah, you pray for your pastor. Thank you. Your faith isn't dependent upon what you do. It was dependent upon Jesus on the cross. And let that now as that wells up in you and you're like, I'm so thankful that it's not on me. It was on Christ and his work because your little speck of amount of what you could do, that was nothing. But the greatest who ever was, who always was and always will be, he went as a big boulder and it says that he became a human. And when he took your sin, he became that speck. And that speck went and put himself on the cross and bled human blood and had his human body crushed. And in that moment, the father looked down and he didn't see holy and blameless and above reproach when he looked at the son at that moment. You know what he saw? He saw my alienation. He saw my hostility. He saw my evil deeds and all that was put on Jesus. And Jesus was cast away. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to know why? It's you. The father forsook his son so that he could look upon you, a people, and say, I want you before me. I want you in my presence. I want you in my life. I want a relationship with you. I want to see you in my holiness. I want you to be blameless. I want you to live free. I want you to know me. I want you to serve me. I want you to know what happiness is. I don't want you to wander off in the world that wants to kill you. I don't want you to follow, follow Satan, which wants to destroy you. I don't want you to even go your own way and do your own religion because that is not enough. I've given you everything you need. And if you continue on in believing that, that is the steadfastness and the continuance of faith. And it will lead you to do what you're supposed to do. And in your doing then, it'll prove what he did at the beginning. We're going to sing that song. Jesus, Jesus, how I love thee. How I've proved you over and over. It's not because you did and did and did and did and did. It's because Jesus in you continues. And the faith continues. It's all about Jesus. If. Indeed. You continue in the faith.
if you are a believer in Jesus, it will indeed continue. But if in these last few moments you've realized, you know what, I've just kind of been living religion. I do recognize that when I'm facing other people, I'm just trying to show that I'm okay. And actually, a lot of times with God, I'm trying to prove to him that I've done enough. You really need to ask yourself the question, do I know Jesus? Do I have faith? And if you find yourself in a place of just mere religion, the reality of what Scripture said is you are far from him. But the reality also is that he desperately wants you to come close to him. He was so desperate that he died for you. And so today, if you find yourself far off from Jesus, an alien, hostile, doing evil deeds still, that you don't have that faith. Jesus says, then come. Come give me your heart. Ask me for forgiveness. Let me show you how much I love you. And if you know Jesus and you feel like he's been distant, he's not. He will never leave you or forsake you. It's usually in those moments that in the midst of all that's going on, we have grown distant from him. Our heart's gone cold. But this morning, maybe you feel a little pump of life. Maybe he's coming at you. And how awful it would be to kind of suddenly feel that pump of life, but then leave it cold. When the Lord comes and he addresses you, he says, here's my good word again. Here's the good news. Every individual and every person in this place has a choice to respond towards Jesus or to respond away from Jesus. As we respond towards him, that's worship. As we respond away from him, that's sin. And we're going to give opportunity as a community to respond towards him. The first step is always on our faces before him saying, Lord, please forgive me. And maybe this morning is the first time ever you would say, Lord, please forgive me. And you know what? The moment that you say, Lord, forgive me, and he changes your heart, that's his work that he starts. All that distance that was between you and God is you're with him. And you'll feel peace like you've never felt before. You'll feel life. You don't have to work it. He's already worked it for you. And then after we repent of our sin and say, Lord, forgive us. This morning we have a special opportunity. Today is Communion Sunday. And we're going to, as a community, we're going to sing songs back. We're going to worship Jesus. And then after those songs, we're going to take communion together. What happens in communion, the Lord said, as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, remember Remember the death of Jesus, his body, his blood that has reconciled you to himself. Because that is a good thing. And so we'll do that at the end together, remembering that Jesus has sacrificed himself for us, that we might live. He's guaranteed through his resurrection that one day he will for sure take us to live with him forever. And so let's bow in a word of prayer and, and, and start this off by going to the Lord in repentance. Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you for having to get stern with us sometimes like a good dad. Not because you're hostile in mind, but you're you're over uh, overflowing with love towards us. And so you tell us the truth and you tell us about how, where our heart was or is, how we were distant, hostile and doing evil deeds. And 
And Lord, we thank you that you're a God who saves. You've not left us distant and then to be destroyed, but you made a way possible for us to live for eternity. And that's through what Jesus has done. And so this morning, we plead only what Jesus has done. The good news of him dying on our behalf. And we ask through that blood, Lord, that you would forgive us. Right now in our hearts, Lord, we pray for forgiveness. And Father, I ask that that forgiveness and that good news would spur us on to love and good deeds. Not because we're working off grace, but because we're proving your goodness in our lives. We live for the hope of a free message. Not in the hopes of our works being good enough. And so, Lord, as we go on into vacation Bible school and we go off into work and we do church, we pray that this wouldn't be just mere robotics and religion. But rather, Lord, that we'd be responding in worship. We would just be loving you back, thanking you for everything that you've done, that we would be proving you over and over. And so, Lord, we give you this time of worship, telling you how much we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.